0: We're going to turn to uh, Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21. And um, as we remember all the things that, or try to remember all the things that Solomon has been telling us and uh, talking to us about. And I would just say this if you're a note taker tonight, why don't you try uh, or maybe uh, write down all the prayers for yourself, for myself, as I'm reading this? I was thinking about this today. If I'm reading this, what prayers would I say uh, and ask God about and talk to God about as I was reading uh, um, uh, Proverbs 21 or any proverb, but, you know, since we're on 21, what prayers would you have? And uh, I would just remind us that the foundation of all biblical wisdom, here it is, it's the fear of the Lord. So figuring out as we move through uh, these verses Figuring out and living a life that fears the Lord, that lives in respect for the Lord and His Word, that lives in awe of the Lord and His Word, and uh, lives in adoration of the Lord and His Word, and the things that He's accomplished and is accomplishing and will accomplishing, results in, doesn't it, a whole life that's given back to Him. And how do I know that? Well, because I just read, and you read too, and in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says that, Our whole lives. I mean, the Bible to me right there is almost, it's not, it's not. But in my world, it's like, I might say something like this. Okay, given everything you've known here so far, what is your reasonable service? Now, the Bible doesn't say it like I'd say. But it cracks me up. It's like, Paul's like, What is your reasonable service knowing everything from Romans 1 to Romans 11? What's your reasonable service? It's to give your whole life back to the Lord. That's what he said. Everything. Your whole life on the altar. It's a sacrifice. Now think about that. Everything. That's what God calls us to. He says some hard things Jesus does when he's here on earth. Some things that people scratch their head about. If you don't hate your family, now you've got to read all of Scripture together. Of course you don't hate your family. You love your family. You uh, uh, honor your mom and dad. You get along with your siblings. But he's um, making a, a contrasting statement that in connection with your love for Jesus, everything else pales in comparison. Now, you do love other people and you do love your family and you are a responsible person and you lay your life down for them. But there's this thing that we're doing here tonight. We're not just coming, you know, to drop somebody off and to, you know, just sort of whittle away the time or, we, you know, okay, it's Wednesday night. No, we're coming to treasure the Lord more and more in our hearts. That's what we're doing. Because here I got news for you. You're going to go home tonight, you're going to go through those doors, and you're going to enter a really difficult world. A world that hates what you love. The gospel, the word. And so you and I and we are to treasure the Lord more and more. I think that's part of fearing the Lord, God bless you. Right? And so now, as we move through here, we're we're learning about fearing the Lord, and we're listening and thinking about, All the things that Solomon writes down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he, listen, as he is preparing his family to to someday take the kingship. Royalty. Now, what do we know about ourselves in New Testament times? We are part of a royal priesthood. Here we are. We're royalty in that sense. We're sons and daughters of the king. Isn't that great? So he's training us. He's telling us to read the the, uh, Proverbs. And I would say, let's write down in our our journals, what prayers would we have if we had a journal and we were looking at Proverbs 21, what would we write down? Write them down as we go. And if I forget, just keep writing them down. (laughs) But you'll see how this goes, I think. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Boy, this one had big meaning for me. Because I was the first person in my family to become a Christian. So when I read the king's heart is in the hands of, in fact, a Campus Crusade for Christ staff member actually showed me this verse, and I was blown away, and I loved it. And I like to quote it because the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. Now, is God sovereign and does, or, or does man choose God? And we would say that, yes, God is sovereign and he calls people. And yet, uh, when you're called, and you repent and respond to the call. But we do know that the king can turn a heart like a river of water. Now, if you've been to so, northern Israel with us or if you're going to go or whatever, you can look it up. The Israelis are masters or masterful at irrigation. And they even were great at it back then because why? Because Israel, if you had to sum up Israel, uh, you know, geopolitically or whatever, I mean, their struggle all the time is with water. They need water there. And in the northern part of Israel, if you go there today, it looks a lot like, you won't believe it, Pennsylvania. When you drive the turnpike and you see the rows of soybeans or, or whatever. and uh, These folks are masters at, at irrigation and farming than that way. In fact, all the way up in the north in Mount Hermon, where you can ski, all the way up there in the north, we, we saw levels of the mountain, and they were plowing and planting on the mountain, of all things. They don't waste resources there. But here's what I want you to know. This evokes in the mind of a a Jewish person, these uh, folks were so good, the farmers, with their irrigation and their rows of whatever they were planting, a lot of times they would just move mounds of whatever you want to call it, dirt or whatever, with their feet, and it wasn't very difficult for them. And they would just move it and take the water, and it would go a different way. It was very easy for them to uh, divert the water or move the water some way. And this right here in Proverbs 21 verse 1 is giving you that sort of feeling that the Lord is so, I guess shouldn't say so sovereign. That's duplicitous, but I mean, he's sovereign and can move the heart of lots of people or anybody and has done so in the Old Testament, just like when a farmer diverts the water very quickly with his foot. That's what the Lord can do. Now here's prayer number one. Ah, I see somebody getting their journal out. Good. I want you to think of the person in your life that you say to yourself, and be honest, I know I'm the pastor, there's no way that guy or that girl is ever coming to the Lord. And I want you to remember this verse next time, and I want you to put them in your journal and just pray, just like that farmer in the old time that the Lord would turn and do something for that person by the power of the Holy Spirit that would impact their heart. Who are you going to pray for? Who are you praying for that you think's beyond? You don't really. I know you intellectually think that the Lord can save anybody, but come on, I know you're human, and there's people you're like, I don't know about that one. Put that person in your journal and pray for them and ask the Lord to turn their heart to him. Because the king's heart, see, he says king, but he's doing something here in a literary device. He's saying if the king's heart could be turned, common people like me and like you, their hearts can be turned. you get it? Because God is sovereign. Oh, to pray for people. What a privilege it is to pray for them. And like the rivers of water, the Lord can turn it. He turns it uh, wherever he wishes. So... This should be something that really just like, boom, builds our faith, right? And changes uh, that God can guide and he can change hearts and he can turn hearts. And um, I know that we, uh, Jan and I, just uh, recently with friends of ours, they don't go to this fellowship, but had really been struggling in their marriage, really been struggling in marriage. And the Lord just, boom, did it and turned it around. And uh, you're going, whoa, Lord, Proverbs 21, verse 1, just happened right in front of our eyes here. Humility and, and learning and grace and tenderness and patience have come in where formerly it wasn't. And, uh, so what a great blessing. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. It just makes me want to find the most difficult human problem and pray for that and the people involved. And then, God bless you, We learn here that every way of a man is right in his own eyes. And I can hear you all out there, all of you. Yeah, I know. That one guy, that one gal, they think they're so right all the time. And that's the point. We never think it about ourselves. We think we're right. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, do you know this, that the heart is deceptively wicked, deceptively wicked. Who can know it? You start out like we do, studying the book of Genesis. Oh, it's so wonderful, Lord, Adam and Eve, just so wonderful. And it's, oh, just walking with you and talking with you. And heck, we don't even bother with clothes around here because we're not, we don't hide anything. We, we're not ashamed. We're just open and it's just transparent living with you, Lord. So wonderful. Boom. And we rebel against the Lord. And the next thing we know, I mean, boom, murder, brother on brother, capital, homicide, murder, malicious intent, m- malice, aforethought. I mean, there it is. The most devastating and wicked crime because it's planned out. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but here the Lord weighs the, heart of, uh, weighs the hearts. And see, that's what the Lord can do. He can take off the mask or take off the you know the lid off the cover for those who fool you know for people who fool others. Fool. My Ohio accent just came out there, but. <clears throat> But he also takes the lid off of yourself because you and I and we sometimes fool ourselves. And that's the point of this. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Let me take you over to my... For me, this chapter has impacted my Christian life more than any chapter of the Bible for me. I know every chapter is wonderful, but this is mine. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And you get there and you understand that Verse 9. Romans 12 says that we're going to give our whole life back to him. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says we make it our aim. Who here was in gym class and has, you know, the red arm from forgetting to put your strap on right there? And we took that aim right at the bullseye, man. Man, when you hit the bullseye, was that what that? <laughs> that hurt, it's right. <laughs> they didn't give us the guard in, in in Newark Public Schools in Ohio. But man, when you hit the bullseye, man, it was so great. What a great feeling. We take it or we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Listen, I don't earn God's salvation or praise or love, and yet because he loves me, I want to please him. Amen. Because he loves me, I want to please him. I want to do what's right. I want to walk in his ways. And so do you. For we, did you know this? You, me, if you're a saved, born-again Christian, do you know this? That you're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought I was saved. You are. You're not going to appear before the great white throne judgment. You're, You're in heaven with eternal life. And yet... All the things that we did in this life count. And that's the point Paul's making. The things you do in this life count. So, Proverbs 21, verse 2, don't fool yourself. Live transparently with the Lord. Don't fool yourself. Don't cover it over with Christian Eats or attendance goals or something at the church or service goals. No, no. Live in the light, or live in God's light, for we must all appear before the Bema Seat, the judgment seat of Christ. That each one, listen to this, your life counts. All the things that you did today counted. All the things that I did today counted. All the things that I said today counted. All the things that you said today counted. All the things that were your motivations today, that's what I'm getting at. All the things that are your motivations today count. It's not something to be stressed about. It's something to want to please your dad about. Because we, he loves us so much. And we want to mature and grow. And when we make a mistake or sin, we confess it. If we've hurt somebody else, we confess it to them, make it right with them, and keep walking toward the Lord because he just wants you to keep coming back. Amen? But we're going to appear before this judgment seat and look. We're going to receive the things done in the body, the things that we did while we lived, according to what he has done, whether good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. We persuade men, but we're well known to God. We're going to receive the things done in the body according to what we've done, whether good or bad. Interesting. Our motives are going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. And there's other places in the Bible. Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. You don't have to turn there. But it says that he, uh, God is a discerner, remember this, of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So here you go. God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You can fake it. I can fake it with all of you. I can fake it. Maybe you could fake it too. But I can't fake it to God. You get it? I can't fake it. He knows. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows my motivation. He knows all those sorts of things. He knows it for you too. That's what Hebrews 4:12 says. And anything that originates outside of faith, that's fleshly, that comes from what you think and not from the resources of God, it's sin. That's what Romans 8 tells us. And even when we give offerings to Him or things that we're going to serve in, you know, God evaluates our motives in serving or giving. I even say, if you're not a cheerful giver or a hilarious giver, some people would disagree with me, and that's fine. Don't give. Whatever it is, money, time, whatever. If you're down here and you've got a crazy attitude like I've had sometimes in my life, and you just can't help, because you're you're mad because somebody's not here. They were supposed to be here. Here's what I'd say go home. For me, too. <laughs> because the, the Bible's here is saying in so many places that our motives matter. Now I'm not saying that in like some mad way that I'm mad at you or anything. I'm saying pray maybe pray first, ask the Lord to take that away from you before you go home or give. But you get the point I'm trying to make. How about this in James 4.3? Remember this? When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. We can even do godly things. Preach. Do things from impure motives etc. How about this over in the Sermon on the Mount? Just turn over there with me. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, actually going into Matthew chapter 6, okay? Go over there. Jesus has been giving us the Beatitudes, and here again he's talking about charitable deeds, and look at this in verse 1. Listen to this. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men. Excuse me, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. There's a motive that's judged. And down later it says, you know, the ones who go and sound the trumpet as they're giving. Listen, assuredly I say to you, right in verse 2 there, they have their reward, but when you do a charitable deed, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Listen, if you have the wrong motive when you're ministering unto the Lord, when you're sacrificing, when you're serving, etc., it appears that that's all the reward that you're going to get is the earthly human response, if there is one, but it's not an eternal reward there. Am I just the only one that that sort of startles? Well, so our motives. So here, listen, Why, why am I going through all this? Here's prayer number two. Lord, help my motives to be pure and in line with what you have for me. Help me to be a cheerful giver. Help me to be one who recognizes that my service is unto you and not unto men. So that if I come down here and there's not, people didn't show up who said they were going to show up, what does it matter to me? I'm serving you, not the men or the ladies. So our motives, Lord, help me with my motives because I know, Lord, that I can fool myself. So there's prayer number three. Help me, Lord, not to fool myself. Help me to recognize when I'm out of bounds. When I'm not walking with you. When I'm tra- you know over the line. When my path is not straight. When I'm perverse and crooked. And I'm using perverse in the way of crookedness. I'm off the path could be the other meaning of perverse too, but you get what I'm saying. So there's another prayer. I'm keeping somebody up over here. Sorry about that. But anyway, uh, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And that's everywhere in the Bible. Isn't that everywhere in the Bible? That to obey is better than sacrifice. That is an incredible statement. To do righteousness. You know, when you do righteousness and justice, folks, who do you do righteousness and justice to? Other people. Look, I always get this backwards. This is one of the things I get backwards, but I'm helping myself right here. Horizontally. I always get vertical and horizontal mixed up. But to do righteousness and justice means you're treating other people right. You get that? And the Lord here is saying to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than any sort of sacrifice. Why? Because you're going through the motions. That's what this is about. Don't go through the motions of religion. Don't go through the motions. I go on Wednesday. I go on Sunday. Sometimes I go to the men's group. I go to the prayer meeting. I give my money. No, that's that's not it. The idea is your feet are hitting the floor and you're excited no matter where your life is circumstantially because you get to serve the Lord every single day. Oh, you understand? Well, we'll get to that punchline at the end. It's all about the fear of the Lord. (laughs) There's the punchline. It's all about the fear of the Lord. Why would I do that? Why would I even care? Why would I want to do righteousness and help other people? Uh, Somebody said with respect to this proverb, how we live is much more important than what we give. How we live is much more important than what we give. And turn with me, would you, over to Matthew 23. Go over to Matthew 23. Uh, Go with me. Verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Can you believe that Jesus called somebody a hypocrite? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're playing the ma- or the, the actor. You're acting. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. Those you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides. who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel? And so when you go back to Proverbs chapter 3, Jesus seems to have known this proverb. <laughs> to do righteousness and judgment or justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Wow. You do all these religious things. I mean, you grow these little herbs. You pick them up out of the garden. You count ten. You take one away and you give it to the Lord. And then you count ten over here. You take one away. You give it to the Lord. and And then you walk down the street and people are dying and hurting. And you just put your nose up and keep going. That's what Jesus is saying here. Remember what James says. Real religion is helping the oppressed. He said widows and orphans but it's helping and coming alongside and ministering to the oppressed. Widows and orphans, the most vulnerable. Who are some of the most vulnerable? Lord, here's another prayer. Lord, direct me to the vulnerable people who are hurting and can't defend themselves and help me somehow to help them. Whatever it is, there's a prayer. And so you keep going. And it says a haughty look, a proud heart, and the plowing, or it says, really it's the plowing of the wicked or sin. It's really the lighting of the, the lamp of the wicked, how a person portrays themselves. But a haughty look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked are sin. And if you think that phrase means plowing, it really means that when you're doing hard work in wickedness, none of it counts. It's still sin because it's outside of faith. Isn't that interesting? Well, how about this? The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty. But those of everyone who is hasty, surely to poverty. And so one of the things that maybe you and I should pray, I know I should pray, is that I would be more of a planner and that I would have good plans. And that you'd give me a... An attitude of hard work, Lord, so that I can receive plenty. And that's not just meaning material-wise. But if you want to know the word and if you want to draw close to the Lord, you gotta put down Instagram, folks. Facebook reels. Ding, Instagram, ding, ding, ding. You gotta put it down. And know the find the Lord in the scriptures. Spend time with him, walking and talking with the Lord, praising him and spending time in prayer, and serving others. See, that takes a lot of time. And there are a lot of good things in this world that eat up your time and my time. They're not bad things necessarily, but they eat your time, and thus they become bad. So, the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty, surely to poverty, you act quick, You, you try to get things over quick, and you want things to come to you without a lot of work, that's hasty. Hebrews 12 says, run with patience instead of being hasty. Lord, help me to be a patient, hardworking, responsible, God-fearing person. There's a prayer. Bingo. Well, getting treasures by a lying tongue is the fleeting fantasy. Isn't that funny that that's in there? Is the fleeting fantasy fantasy of those who seek death. That's incredible. These people want to get treasures. They don't want to work hard, but they want to swindle people. And uh, uh, that's the way of the wicked, that to swindle people and even lie. Uh, what's unbelievable, though, here, or not unbelievable, what's incredible here is that instead of getting benefits, the ones that they sought, this lazy person or this lying person. The ones that they sought. Listen to this. When they do that, when deceivers do that, they find that they're actually pursuing death. That's what that proverb says. Ooh. Lord, help us to be honest and have integrity in our business dealings. Help us to be hard workers and rely upon you. What a prayer, huh? And the violence, verse 7, of the wicked will destroy them. The violence of the wicked will destroy them uh, because they refuse to do, to, do, to do justice. Sorry about that. And that sort of goes hand in glove with verse 6. The violence of a wicked, wicked love, violence... And they use it to get ahead. And they refuse to do justice. And the Lord's going to do past judgment over both. Both of these things in the life of those who don't walk with God. And then in verse 8. Don't you know this? That there's a wide gate that a lot of people go in. There's a wide path. That a lot of people go in and then there's a narrow way a narrow path a narrow gate and folks I have to be honest with you I think there's a lot of people in our in, in church I'm talking about the church at large who are still trying to get in by the wide gate everything's great I'll read the back of the magazine wow this is amazing Say that prayer. I'm in. And then nothing. No growth, no life, no repentance, no obedience. And oh, hey, we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been there. We've struggled and we've done this and we've done that and we've gone, you know, two steps back. We've all done that, but we, but the, but the trajectory of uh, a lot of people's life is not towards the Lord, even in the church. And here it says the way of a guilty man is perverse, crooked. That's what that means. But as for the pure, his work is right. So the way of a guilty man. There, now you're going to see here to the end of this chapter that it's very path. Solomon is very path or way conscious. He talks about the way of people. There's a way to every life. Did you ever know that? There's a way to your life. What way are you going? I have news for you. The narrow way is much more difficult, but here's what's a blessing about the narrow way is the Lord does bless, and the Lord is um, moving us towards that in maturity. That's where he wants us to walk, the narrow way. To deny self, that's what the Bible says. That you're to lose your life, to find it ultimately in his life. That he's in you, and you're in him. And that you and I are to be servants, not consumers. I think us in the church today think it says... In order to be great in heaven, we must be Christian consumers. That's what the story of our uh, American church is. But the Bible says that we're to be servants and slaves and to lay down our lives and to serve others. Are you, Lord, here comes a prayer. Lord, am I serving others? Am I fooling myself or am I serving? Am I fooling myself or am I serving? Now, this isn't a plea from the pastor to get you to do something here. You might be doing something elsewhere, but wherever you plug in, serve. If you're having a problem with spiritual dryness, in my opinion, here's one of the antidotes serve. What happens when you eat Hot Fudge Sunday for dinner every night? Well, I'm happy. I don't know about you, but, but what happens? You get sort of tired of it, and it sort of becomes blah. Nah. And not that the word ever becomes blah, but, but listen, when we just consume, see, the Christian life is giving out, exercising it out in obeying, in service. Where are you plugging in? Lord, where am I plugging in? That's the way I want to walk. Better to dwell in the, where did Jan go? Better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Now, Jan's not a contentious woman, and I think this would, could both go towards men or women. Uh, but here's what's interesting about that, is he's saying it's better for a married spouse to live on the corner of a roof of the house. Now think about Israel. You're out there sleeping, it's like 95 degrees, the sun, and the right, and the hot, and you're out in the elements, and you're on a flat roof. That would be really uncomfortable. And here he says that the way of a guilt, or excuse me, that better to dwell on the corner of a house uh, top than in a house shared with a contentious woman, but also a contentious man. You see. Go over to verse 19. He he uh, 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 makes a point even greater, better to dwell in the wilderness. If you don't believe me, Solomon says, not just the corner of a roof. It's better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman, or a man, a spouse. So here he comes. Do you always have to be right in your marriage? Is it always about you won the fight or they won the fight? Do you have to be contentious all the time? What is it about marriage that the Lord is doing? He's chipping off those rough edges, right? I don't know about you, but left to myself, here's how many times out of a hundred I like to be uh, wrong. Zero. Maybe negative. If that's possible. So imagine that now. So what is the Lord doing here? He's saying that the family is really important and that it starts at the top and that the kids see what's going on with mom and dad and they want to see love and security and sweetness and not perfection but forgiveness and uh, uh, how he's working things out in the life and 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 if you're angry and contentious that the Lord is uh, working on your life and you're saying you're sorry and you're moving forward, you get it? And Solomon was impressed by that because he wrote it twice right here in the chapter. And the soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no favor in his eyes. That's what wicked people do. They, They feed off of evil and corruption. And it's expressed through their life, so much so that even they quarrel with their neighbors. And that's what wicked people like to do. You ever met somebody? I I know some people like that, where they're not happy unless there's drama, that there's contention, even among people that they live uh, right next to. Well, this, then the scoffer is punished, or excuse me, when the scoffer is punished, the simple is made wise, but when wise is instructed, he received knowledge. Man, you, if you're walking with the Lord, can receive superior wisdom and knowledge than that of the world. Do you know that? That a person who's scoffing, and what, what the proverb writer is doing here is he's telling you that there's this degree of being disagreeable or unwise. And the number one unwise person It's insidious because they think they're more wise than anybody else. And they're a scoffer. And they dig their heels in. And you can't tell them anything. And the Lord here says, that's a dumb person. That's a person who doesn't have knowledge or wisdom if you're always digging your heels in. He's a scoffer. In fact, that even has to do, don't you know, with the last days that he tells us in the last days people are going to scoff. But in this proverb, when the scoffer is punished, see, they don't learn. But somebody who is a little bit simpler, who might be less of a scoffer, but just sort of naive, oh, they can learn from the scoffer. And then the person who's walking with the Lord, look, they're made wise. That's why, listen, you ought to pray. I ought to pray. We ought to pray together. Ready? Here comes another prayer. Lord, help me to be a person that can take correction. All of you just tuned out on that one. (laughs) Lord, help me to be a person that invites correction, not just receives correction, invites it. What did I do wrong here? It's okay, tell me. I won't take it personal. Now listen, you don't have to slam them, but you, you know, right? To receive correction and improve, that's what a wise person does. Interesting. The righteous God wisely considers the house of the wicked. He's so fair. He overthrows the wicked for their wickedness. And whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. Whoa. Oh, my. But I'm blessed by the Lord Jesus in this area. Remember Jesus when he was down by that pool And there's a multitude of sick people. Multitudes. And Jesus healed one. Why do you think Jesus healed one? Because his father directed him to heal one. Don't you ever read the story and go, why didn't he heal the others, Lord? Nobody but me. But here's what it does for me. It takes all the pressure off. I only do that which the father tells me, Jesus said, and you're to live like that. You don't have to go help 75 million poor unless, of course, you have 75 million dollars. I don't know. You get what I'm saying. But why don't you just do your part wherever you see a need, right? Wherever you see a need. Wherever you see or encounter a neighbor, somebody in need, are you helping? Now, you have to be wise as doves, or excuse me, wise as serpents and gentle as doves in these areas. Because you do run into people who are scamming us. But Man, our hearts to help the ones who are vulnerable and poor, just like the Lord's is. And a gift in secret pacifies anger and a bribe behind the back strong wrath. Every once in a while you get a proverb that has no spiritual application. It's just telling the truth. When somebody receives a bribe, generally they're happy about it because they get a good gift. I mean, the Lord's not giving you a spiritual application, nor is he saying it's good to bribe. He's just telling you that that happens out in the world. And unwise people take those things and run with them. It's a joy. Don't you want to be joyful? It's a joy for the just to do justice, for the righteous, for the godly to be fair. But destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. Destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. We're going to see what's in the heart Of those who work iniquity. A man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. A man who wanders, there it is again, from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. Oh, by the way, Lord, help me to act justly. There's a prayer. But a man who wanders from the way of understanding, you get off the path, you're off the narrow way. You don't seek understanding anymore. You just want to accomplish the goal. Who cares about being a right divider of the word or thinking through the problem? Just get it over with. Get it off my list. will rest in the assembly of the dead. A man who wanders from the way, who gets off of that path, rests in the assembly of the dead. We, Lord, help me to be a person of understanding and knowledge and wisdom. He who loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Now listen, having good things oftentimes, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's when your heart flips from having good things to idolizing good things that they become a problem. And if they become a problem, it can run out and make you poor. There's such a thing as good discipline and good self-denial in areas so that you'll be rich and maybe rich materially, but we're talking spiritually here. You know, if you're going to be a slave, if you're going to be a servant, if you're going to give up your life, guess what, folks? you got to give up your time. You'll be giving up your time. You'll be sacrificing your time. That takes self-discipline a little bit. It takes self-denial. Is everybody with me? Here's what a lot of people in church say. Oh, yeah, I'll volunteer for that. When is it? Well, it's blank. Well, I can't do that. I mean... I go down to the coffee shop every Tuesday morning and do whatever. And I I mean, how in the world could I volunteer for that? Well, that's being a volunteer. That's not a servant. And so what does it cost you? It costs self-denial. Lord, help us to be people who would learn about dying to self more and more and more. And the wicked shall be a ransom to the righteous, that just sort of means that the righteous will ultimately succeed and the unfaithful for the upright, that the righteous will ultimately succeed. And I think it's Psalm 73 that answers that question too, because that's one of the big questions of life. Look, that guy over there, he's as ungodly as it comes. Look at his house, massive. Look at his car, unbelievable. Look at his white picket fence. He's always flying to Acapulco and, you know, Big Sur and all these different places. And what about me, Lord? The the righteous will ultimately succeed for eternity. And we live with that and love that and give our lives up gladly. Better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious... Oh, I already did that. Sorry. That wasn't a shot across the bow. I just forgot. (laughs) Yeah, I'm in trouble now. But anyway, there is a desire is desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. Right. And so there's this thing about, uh, you know, not squandering the things that the Lord entrusts you with and that you've worked for. Uh, Anyway, so. That's a principle that follows throughout. And he who follows righteousness and mercy, here it is again. Lord, I mean, this is a big prayer, isn't it? Lord, I want to keep on the right path. The one who follows righteousness and mercy. And think it to yourself, are you following righteousness and mercy? Lord, tell me what righteousness and mercy are. I want to know, do I withhold from people what they deserve? You catch that? I'm going to follow you in traffic tomorrow. We'll see. Don't follow me, though. But he who follows righteousness and mercy, righteousness. This is hard, but we need the Lord. If you do, you find life, righteousness, and honor. Whoa. Man, is it great to be honored by the Lord, to be loved by the Lord, and to have his life. And I want to continue, don't you, to follow righteousness and mercy. Lord, help us be merciful people. Who here wants to be a merciful people? Raise your hand. Oh, good. Boy, is that a tough prayer. If we pray that, we're going to find a situation here soon, right? That the world would say, don't forgive that person. Don't be easy on him or her. Give it to him. You did, it's your right. Well, the gospel is about laying down your rights, like Jesus. A wise man scales the city of the mighty. We can overcome any obstacle. Wake up. There's a lot of obstacles people are going through in this sanctuary, this little sanctuary. People here are going through obstacles, and it looks like that wall I could never climb over. Never. It's never going to happen. But the Lord says, yes, it can happen, that he'll take down the walls. He'll break down the walls. In fact, you sing songs about that on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights. But a wise man, those who fear the Lord, scale the city of the mighty and bring down the trusted strongholds. And there's many applications with respect to this proverb, but we bring down the trusted strongholds of the enemy even. I mean, just think about the story of Job. Ah. Yeah, I know he's a great guy. He's a righteous dude. You let me at him for a minute, Lord, the enemy said. We'll see. I mean, the one that gets me too is the wife said, why don't you just curse God? Let's get it over with. He said, no way. I'd never do that. That's amazing. That's a, that's a life that lives in fear of the Lord and brings down these trusted strongholds, even a thing as close and intimate as a marriage there with Job. When he stuck to the path, he was wise. So what is the big wall in your life? Well, let's pray about it and walk through it or over it with the Lord. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from trouble. Wow, that's pretty straightforward. And James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Lord, help me to keep my mouth shut. (laughs) There's a prayer. Lord, help me to speak when appropriate and help me to know when to keep quiet. Anybody else but me need that? Well, I need it. A proud and haughty man, scoffer is his name. Again, in the last days, Second Peter three three, Jude one eighteen, there are going to be lots of scoffers. They act with arrogant pride. But you could be a scoffer sometimes, and maybe I, we, I, we act with arrogant pride. Don't be that man or woman. And the desire of the lazy man kills him. Help me, Lord, not to be haughty. Couldn't we pray that? And a proud and haughty man, oh, excuse me, and the desire of the lazy man kills him for his hands refuse to labor. That's pretty easy. And he covets greedily all day long. A lot of times a lazy person is like, how come I don't have a Ferrari like her or him? Well, maybe because you don't get off the couch. There's a principle that if you want to move towards a goal that you have to work for it. And the Lord says it. If you want to draw near to me, I'll draw near to you, he said do you really want to be close to me? The Lord said to a really, really sick, lame individual, do you really want to be healed? Don't you find that as a strange question, folks? I'm like reading the Bible going, Lord, why would you ask him that? And then it dawns on me, maybe he doesn't want to be healed. So you know people who don't want to be healed. They just covet greedily all day long, but the righteous gives and doesn't spare. Are you a generous person? Are you a hilarious giver? Am I a hilarious giver? Do I give with joy? Not just money, time, talent, resource. Do I give with joy? That's what the Bible says is a wise person. Lord, help me to be generous. There's a prayer. And... um, the sacrifice oh women. Yes, there we go. the sacrifice thanks. the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with wicked intent? Ooh man. The sacrifice of the wicked. You could do religious stuff with wrong motives, wicked motives, and it is a rough thing. I mean the Lord calls it an abomination, and if you bring it with wicked intent, you're in here. Wheat and the tares. Wheat and the tares. I'm going to wake you up. The Bible says when you come to church, there's people who are wheat, useful, and tares, unuseful. I didn't say it. The Lord said it. And they're there to wreck and wreak havoc. And so there's sacrifices made by people that are abominations. And a false witness here shall perish. And this is speaking of court language. Remember, Jesus had false witnesses against him. He knows how you feel. They tried to trump up these charges. But the man who hears him will speak endlessly. A false witness shall perish. But people who hear him, this is what's really bad. They might Never stop talking about it and come to a fair conclusion because they don't have the right information. That's rough, man. So be careful about being a false witness. Don't gossip about your sister or brother. Don't say things outside of their presence you wouldn't say in their presence. Don't talk and be a false witness. Lord, help me to guard my tongue. There's a prayer. A wicked man hardens his face. He's unsympathetic. He's hard. He's not friendly But as for the upright, he establishes his way. There it is again. Are you on the way? Are you on the path? And there's no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord. This is showing us this vast, huge, big, gulf, G-U-L-F, between human wisdom and the Lord's wisdom. Don't forget Pretend, even as a Christian, to tell the Lord what you think he should do. I mean, you can do it, but you better watch. I mean, I better watch being presumptive with the Lord. How about we just speak honestly with him, but with humility and teachability? Is that a word? Be teachable. There's no wisdom or understanding. Lord, I think we should do it this way, but. I'm hesitant because maybe I'm running ahead of you. What should I do here, Lord, against the Lord? Let the Lord do his work, and the horse is prepared for the day of battle. It's great to prepare, but remember, victory is the Lord. You should prepare, and you should be prepared. And I I need to pray, Lord, help me to be prepared. But also, Lord, help me to remember that victory, is the Lord. Now, I'm going to give you one last scripture, and we'll pray. Philippians 2, go there. We're talking about deliverance is from the Lord. Therefore, my beloved, verse 12, Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Look at this. This is so amazing. What is it? Is it God's sovereignty or human responsibility? Uh Uh-huh. It sure is. Here's what it is. That now much more in my absence. Look at this. You're to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because you and I and we fear the Lord. We're in reverence. We're in awe of the Lord. And we want to do and obey and move towards Christ-likeness and please the Lord and mature. So if that's the case, we're working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, yes, but it's not totally, it's not up to me. For it is God who works in me, or you, both to will and to do. Why? for his good pleasure. The Lord loves working in your life. you ever thought about that? We should prepare for battle, spiritual war, but it's the Lord who delivers the victory. You get it? And you could always remember Philippians 2, 12 and 13. You're to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but it's his good pleasure to work all these things out in your life. Isn't that incredible? So, Lord, help me to be of, a- person of preparation but then you know what i'd do with all those prayers you wrote down today i'd write a big circle around them take a little arrow and point it over here and say lord help me to fear you more and more because all of these flow out of that and that's the reason he tells you right at the beginning of the book of proverbs to fear the lord if you are in falling more and more in love with Jesus, you're moving towards all of these things. Here's why. Because as I went through this, who here felt a daunting responsibility to be a good little boy or a good little girl? I did. And I'm the pastor. (laughs) But if I'm fearing the Lord, if I'm spending time with the Lord, if I'm walking and talking with the Lord, if I'm praising the Lord and pouring out my heart, listen, He gives us His resource and strength to do it. You got it? Because a child begins to look like the father or the parent. Isn't that great? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much uh, for these good words. And thank you for uh, this part of Scripture and all the prayers that we can pray. But Lord, it's so wonderful to be able to pray this prayer first and foremost. Lord, help me to fear you more and more. Help me to treasure you in my heart, more and more. Lord, help me to fall in love with you and appreciate you and adore you as I soak up your word and obey it. We pray all those things in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen.